Have you ever wondered what it takes to create a startup not just by yourself, but with someone else? Have you failed once and you're currently in a rut? You want to try again, but you're too scared to? In this episode, we will address all with none other than the co-founders of iTreatMD, Neba Agarwal and George Krusik. I'm your host, Sabrina Lay, and welcome to Inspired by Immigrants. This podcast is sponsored by Rocketta Labs. Rocketta Labs is a startup accelerator based in San Francisco Bay Area. Some opportunities the accelerator provides for startups include mentoring and feedback from experienced sales, software, and marketing professionals, marketing on the company website, and depending on if there's synergy, revenue sharing partnerships, and access to our global sales channels. If you would like more information, visit our website at kyoceralabs.com. Some people will say that creating a startup with another person is like a work marriage. There's a huge amount of trust and communication required to commit to such an endeavor. You celebrate wins together, but you also fail together. And in times, you fail hard. The founders you're about to listen to have firsthand experience on what success and failure feel like. Neba, an immigrant coming away from India, has been in the technology industry for over 20 years and has been involved with engineering, marketing, executive management, and business development. She founded Skyflow, a speech self-service company in the hosted CRM market, which was later acquired by Syntech, a call center company. She worked with telecommunication companies such as AT&T and Sprint to improve efficiency of interactions for customer care systems before leaving her job to focus on iTreatMD. Dr. Krusik, an immigrant from Canada, is an entrepreneur, physician, and software engineer with over 30 years of experience. During this period, he has brought to market innovative internet products on traditional PC platforms, mobile devices, and cloud-based platforms, as well as having spent over 14 years as a primary care physician. George founded a number of other companies, including Autodesk Australia and Elitel Incorporated. Neba and George joined forces in 2015, where they created iTreatMD. This startup delivers applications that provide practicing physicians, surgeons, and nurse practitioners with tools to expedite their point-of-care documentation needs, dramatically decreasing documentation time by 60 to 70% on mobile platforms that are integrated with many EMRs. In this podcast, you'll hear about the story of how they met and joined forces and how they stuck together for so many years, how being an immigrant impacted their entrepreneurial journey, and how they were able to get themselves back up after failing so many times. With that, let's get this interview started. So thank you so much, uh, Neba and George, for taking the time to meet with us for this podcast. So how did you two meet in the first place? And get this idea to create a startup? So George and I worked together, oh God, it was like almost 20 years ago, believe it or not, at another company, another startup, and got along very well together. And this time when we had some ideas, it was about five years ago, we, you know, reached out to each other and, you know, here we are. So that's how, so we met a while ago. So George. Yeah, Neva and I, uh, Neva hired me uh, to be her uh, VP of engineering, and she took a brave step to do that, uh, since I was a practicing physician, as well as having a 
uh, degree in computer science. I had done a lot of uh, computer uh, related uh, work uh, and her original startup required someone with knowledge in speech and voice recognition. And I had done a lot of work as a postgrad in, in speech recognition and also had done a lot of work in uh, analysis for uh, voice for medical purposes. So anyway, we um, she hired me and I was like totally thrilled. And like she said, we got along really well. The company failed, the startup failed, but you know, that's what startups do. You know, <laughs> they sometimes make it and they sometimes don't. And so we went our separate ways, like she said, for literally what, almost a decade. And then yeah entered a master's program, uh, an MBA program. And one of my projects was to come up with a startup idea. And uh, once that program was finished, I contacted Neba and said, hey, you want to do this again? I know it was painful, but uh, you know, it was kind of fun. Uh, so we we decided to, to try it again. And um, we've been working together now for almost five years and it looks like it's, uh, it's blossoming. So we're, we're really thrilled. And uh, that's how we kind of came together. That's that's like super. It. Yeah, that's I really like to hear that as well. So, you know, I know that a lot of our listeners, some of them may be partnering with another person to create a startup. So what do you think is that secret to that lasting relationship and partnership with the person that you create the startup with? For me, the most important thing is trust. I think that's the most important thing. I mean, can I trust that person? You know, like between George and I, I think one of the things that we do have is a lot of trust and mutual respect. Yes, even though we quabble and, you know, we tell each other, you know, you know, we joke around, but, you know, we have a huge amount of respect for each other. So that's the two starting points. And beyond that, I think it's the skill set. I mean, you have to have somebody who has a complementary skill set. I mean, if both of you have the same skill set, it doesn't really help. So I think all of these have to kind of come together, at least in my mind. Uh, I mean, for me, the most important thing is like, if I can't trust that person, it's very difficult for me to have them as partners. I mean, I'll have them as employees, of course, but, uh, you know, reluctantly. But uh, trust is something, especially for a co-founder, you know, you, you need, you know, you'll be, you're doing so much all the time that you have to have that trust and also mutual respect. I mean, I give it to George and I don't have to worry about it. Uh, you know, I, I know he's capable of, you know, whatever I throw at him and he'll do it. So that's very important to me. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. I think trust is number one. Uh, Neba has, um, uh, Neba and I get along so well. Uh, actually, one of our, one of the people we hired as a sales guy said, well, you two are like a married couple. It's like, um, you two argue all the time, but somehow you end up, you know, um, finding a way. And, and I think that, um, you know, our spouses, our individual spouses have noticed that as well that, you know, say, oh, wow, you, you get along really well. How, how do you do that? I think the formula is 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 exactly how Neva described it. She has skill sets. I respect those skill sets. And when she needs, when we need to do some marketing activities, for example, there's many other things she does. You know, I, I don't worry about it. I know it's going to happen. And 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 she does a great job. By the way, we both are graduates in computer science. So whenever there are technical issues on my side. I have a partner that I can discuss those technical issues with, with confidence that she knows what I'm talking about and also can contribute and, all, and very frequently does with great ideas. Uh, so, you know, we, we complement each other in many ways, but we also have a lot of synergies that make the process go uh, well. And quite frankly, uh, although this is outside the scope of the question, um, we both have spouses who, you know, support us. And I yes. think that is also a very important thing because you get pretty intense in a startup, 
um, you know, there's a lot of decisions that you have to make. There's a lot of opinions you have to bring together. And, and, and there's, you know, multiple paths. You, you can take a fork in the road and it may just take you the wrong way. And you both have to decide, hey, you know what? We have to relook at that because we just went down the wrong road. And the ability to uh, retrospect and analyze what you've done and come to an agreement that maybe you both or one of you made a mistake and to correct that is the only way you really succeed. So it's not just respect, it's also tolerance that you have for each other's skill set and decisions that you make jointly that might not work. So we pivot all, we've pivoted many times. And you know, that's the buzzword in a startup is pivot. Well, really what that is, is you screwed up, you have to try again. Uh, so I think surviving that sort of back and forth is, is terribly important. How do you think your immigrant background um, helped in your um, maybe entrepreneurial startup venture or how you make decisions being uh, um, foreign entrepreneurs? The first and foremost thing, I think being a first generation immigrant, um, you are extremely persistent. That's, I think that's one character that most first generation immigrants bring to the table. You know, you're in a new environment, you're in a new place, you're just, you know, completely out of depth, so to speak. And you have to figure out a way to make it happen, to make it work. Uh, and I think that you just try harder, you're just more persistent. And these are the characteristics that are very important for a startup. And again, as George mentioned, yeah, you do something and the market tells you otherwise. You know, you think that path is correct and the market, you know, you, you go to market and the market tells you otherwise. And you have to be very persistent and thorough and just, you know, think, take things apart and say, okay, what did I do wrong? And, you know, put it back together. And that requires a lot of patience and a lot of persistence and a lot of analysis, yes. And I think as immigrant, that definitely helps from that perspective. Uh, I think just pure entrepreneurship, uh, definitely, I think we do bring uh, our cultural stuff uh, with us. I'm definitely from India and Indians, yes, in general, tend to be very entrepreneurial. They also tend to be very resourceful. If, you know, if something is not working one way, you try another way, which, you know, is another form of saying you pivot. It's like, okay, if this is not working this, this first way, let me try another path or let me try the third path. I mean, as you know, there are many paths to salvation and we have many, many gods. So, you know, it's the same thing that, you know, you can, whatever your goal is, there are multiple paths to it. Well, for me, eh? I mean, I'm Canadian, eh? So uh, I had to learn to speak the language. No, that's not exactly true. But um, there are cultural differences uh, when you come from Canada, particularly in the business world. Canadians are far more cautious as a rule, uh, much more formal in their business relationships. And, you know, I did, I did have a little company in Canada before I actually moved here. So I, I did get a taste of that. So there was some adaptation. I know it's nowhere near as subtle as some immigrants who come and have to learn their new, a new language and, and, and the cultures are very different. You know, I lived 75 miles north of the U.S. border uh, in Winnipeg. And so, you know, culturally, that wasn't a big impact. You know, for me, the biggest thing was adapting to the uh, culture of medicine, which is different here. The culture of uh, computer science wasn't, wasn't a big stretch. I don't know about persistence. I mean, both Neba and I are expats of, of the British Empire, and we both share some interesting parallels being immigrants, uh, uh, having grown up in a, in a colonial environment. I know most people don't realize that, but there's a strong British influence in both of our backgrounds. And I think that's been a compliment for being, uh, you know, from two backgrounds in that sense. We, we joke a lot about being, you know, having suffered through the English, but um, 
you know, it, it still is, it, it was a factor. And, and, and I think that's one of the reasons we get along well is because we're both immigrants from, <laughs> from that kind of environment. I like that. You know, it's the same thing for, I mean, I'm from Israel originally. We oh. suffered under the British rule too. And that's why Israel had such a big entrepreneurial uh, community. And so maybe I never thought about it that way, but I think- that's interesting. I never thought of it that way either. Yeah, that's yeah. very interesting. Israel is, you know, before they emerge as a country, they were uh, obviously controlled sure. by the British mandate. British, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Thank, thank, thank for the British. We are all entrepreneurs. Yeah, I, I'm not. I, I'm not sure I would go so far as to thank them, but uh, I think that is a factor. Back to when you st- uh, talked about how you guys like created the startup before and it failed. What was the mindset that you guys had that you were able to overcome that and be able to start up again? Well, we're entrepreneurs. (laughs) You're eternally optimistic. (laughs) I think the definition of, uh, I don't know how people define entrepreneurship, but uh, I think the main thing is you're eternally optimistic. I mean, you do things that nobody else would do. I mean, you are nuts, basically, Mm -hmm. in other words. And, uh, but I think that the, the, high point is that yeah you're just optimistic you're probably just more optimistic than the others and everybody else thinks you'll fail but you you, you think you'll succeed mm-hmm. that's why you try all these things and you spend years of your life with a lot of patience passions and persistence um and you you know you keep going and you keep trying and you keep trying because uh, that's really what you do as an entrepreneur and i think that's really what it was it's like you know we'll try again you know last time the market actually the market had collapsed since 2004 the market just you know went south <laughs> Many very established companies failed as well. So it's not that, you know, we were singled out. And there was not one thing that we could point to that this didn't went wrong, but, you know, the, the market just collapsed and that was that. But you learn from your mistakes or you learn from the market and you bring those learnings and then, you know, you move forward. George? Yeah, so both Neva and I are serial entrepreneurs uh, and she's right, we're eternally optimistic. We're both crazy. <laughs> we both think that what we, the ideas we come up with are the greatest things in sliced bread and we, we wanna proceed with them. I think that's inherent in our personalities. I'm on my seventh startup, so I never learned. I, I keep make, still keep going back to it all the time. I don't know whether you ever really get over the urge to bring your ideas forward. I think we both suffer from optimism, but also enjoy it uh, because um, it's a challenge to find a solution to the obstacles that you end up running into when when you take on a startup role. Can I get funding? Can I? Can, will the market like my product? Oh, what did the first people who who tried it? say oh is that you know what do i have to do so it's puzzling it's also takes a a puzzle solving personality to to be a good entrepreneur like neva said you always persist and you have challenges but you like that because it's a puzzle and and you try to figure it out so i think those are the key elements of serial entrepreneurs that we both share we would like to ask the founders that we interview um, um you know in the process of coming up with an idea what is the, what is your process? Like, how do you decide that something that is in your head should become a startup, should become a product, should become a, a venture? Maybe you can kind of give us a little bit of a snip, snippet as to what is your process? You wake up in the morning, uh, Neva says to George, you know, you know, I have this idea for this company and, and how do you make it happen? 
basically, I mean, yes, founders are nuts and insane, but you also take calculated risks. I never gamble. For example, I go to Vegas, so I never gamble. So I don't, I don't, that's, I don't take that kind of risk. But startups are, at least in my mind, calculated risks. And in this situation, you take a look. I mean, like, yes, I have, we all have ideas, you know, and ideas, as we all know, are a dime a dozen. Which ones of them will convert into something that the market can take, that we can take to market, that we can actually build? And I think this is where, you know, we do what the process that goes through our minds is similar to what the VCs do, really. It's like, okay, now, is it something that is doable? Is it something that the market requires? Is there a huge enough market size? Who are our ultimate users? Can we actually approach those users? Who are the partners? Who are the competitors? Who else is playing in that industry? How much is it costing? I mean, what benefits would we bring? Uh, will be able to scale. I mean, like to do it so that the marginal cost of extension is very low. I mean, I can, and, and those are the kind of things. Um, and, you know, again, you know, you don't want to be too far out because I think one of the other thing that we did with our first startup is that we were so far ahead of the market that market has a hard time catching up. So this time it's like, you can be, you can be 10 years out. You got to be two to three years out uh, of what the, so because, you know, you have to be where the puck will be, not where the puck is. So you have to kind of anticipate where the puck is going to be and be there. Hey, that's a Canadian thing yeah, with Wayne, yeah. Wayne Gretzky playing hockey. Yeah, nice. Yeah. yeah. There, you, there you go. I mean, that's what he always says. You can't, can't stand them and you have to anticipate, but you can't anticipate too far out. Uh, so that's a lesson, one of the lessons that I learned, at least from my earlier startup. George? Yeah, thanks for the Wayne Gretzky reference. Uh, you know that, that is, uh, you know that's a, that that's top in business schools, and 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 a lot of CEOs spout that out. If you in the media, I have five patents. I have uh, patented ideas, and uh, I, one of the things that I learned very early on is that if you have a great idea, you get to stand in line at the patent office because there's a whole bunch of other people that have the same friggin' idea as you do. And did you get it first? Oh yeah, then maybe you might get a patent. The bottom line is, you know, we come up with ideas and then we realize that probably a lot of other people have done it. And the first thing I usually do is, hey, did anybody do this yet? I think that's one of the first steps that I do. Everything Neva said about, is it a real idea? I went back to get my MBA late in my career because I wanted, because I was such a failure on my previous startups, I figured I must be doing something wrong. I better get an education. There, there are things that you learn in, in business school that really help you. And Neva iterated pretty much all of them. You know, is there a market? Who's your customer? Can you come to market in a, in a timely fashion? How much is it going to cost? Blah, 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 blah. You know, there's all of that. And, and ultimately, if you want to go make your pitch to a, a VC, you better have a good business plan with a growth rate and, and you better have a great spreadsheet of your, of your business plan. So yes, there are a lot of technical and, and boxes you have to check if you're going to take this wonderful idea that you have and bring it to market. And I think, you know, both Neva and I know how to do that and we've done it. So I, I think it's both inspiration that you have for your idea. I think it's passion. You have to have a passion for your idea and you have to persist in your passion. Uh, and then it becomes a checkbox thing. Go through all of, the, all of the boxes to see if this idea will really fly in the real world. That's my formula. I think one of the things that people really have to have is a strong passion for it, because then you'll overcome a lot of the obstacles that people will throw against you, uh, throw to you, say, oh, that's a stupid idea. Oh, nobody ever does that, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, I'm going to make this happen. So mechanical steps, process steps, but passion. I love it. 
That actually is an interesting idea to, to check if somebody did it. But sometimes people say if they did it, maybe I can do it better. Like Neba said, if you're too far ahead of the market, um, you run the risk of uh, an initial startup that is way ahead of the time. Both Neba and I have had that experience. Um, I know you guys are seated right now, but you know I have a patent for what WhatsApp is. Oh. I created that patent 10 years before WhatsApp existed. And we tried to bring it to market, but there weren't devices to support it. Um, the only thing we had was a compact pocket PC and that didn't have telephone on it. So it never worked. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ideas that you can come up with and even get patents for that just will never happen in your time zone. And, and so you have to be very careful to pick something that is not too far ahead of the market. Interesting, wow. That's a whole story by itself. Yeah, it is. I was it just is. going to say. General mm -hmm. magic, remember general magic? <laughs> it was too far ahead of the market. So what would you say was the most difficult challenge that you had to face, you know, when starting up? Is there anything that you wish you would have known beforehand? One of the things, at least for me, I mean, like, this is the first time I was doing something in healthcare. And I think the difficulty of breaking into healthcare was something I did not anticipate because I've always been an enterprise software and the sales cycles are shorter, breaking into customers and, you know, all that, and, you know, getting customers is always a very difficult challenge. Don't get me wrong. So we know that getting in funding is extremely difficult. Those two are always going to be difficult no matter what it is that you're doing. But I think healthcare added a whole new flavor in the sense that it is just resistant to change. That really caught me by surprise. Yeah, I would echo that. Being a physician, I, and being a computer person, I created, I know you guys are seated again, this is probably not believable, but in 1982, when IBM brought out their IBM PC, you probably guys were too young for that. I had, for the market, I had an EMR, an electronic medical record. It was already done. I did what we're, what we're sold 30, 40 years later. We did that, and we encountered everything that Neba just said, huge resistance to change. And uh, to me, I was very comfortable with that because, you know, when I'm practicing medicine, I don't change how I treat the strep throat, you know, from day to day. And if somebody comes up and says, well, gee whiz, I have this real, really great treatment for this disease. I'll go, oh yeah, but you know, has it been in trials? Has it been tested? Has it gone through a, a vetting process? Oh, how many patients did you treat with it? Did they all get better? How many got worse? What were the side effects? Blah, 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 blah. Docs and the healthcare profession don't change on a dime. And you can't sell things to them unless you've got a lot of support for why they should change. And so I think both Neba and I continue to struggle in our startup with how do you convince uh, the healthcare spectrum? Because it, it's not just docs, it's it's nursing facilities, it's uh, occupational therapists, it's every, every element. You just don't walk in and say, I got a new uh, buzzsaw. Hey, you want to use it? It doesn't happen. You, you have to go through a long process to show them, convince them. So we work through societies, for example, which are groups of docs. We work, uh, we work through a whole bunch of partners that, that visit docs and, 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 and healthcare professionals in order to introduce change. And a startup is, you know, it's all about change. It's all about doing something new. It's all about something wonderful. So yeah, we suffer from that. And I'm not sure I would have done anything different. I, you know, Neva and I talk about this a lot and I know this was, a sh this was a sharp change for her, but for me, it wasn't such a shock, but it's a challenge. And we, we face that every day. Thank you for that. I think we're closing in on this interview. 
Um, so what is your advice for aspiring immigrant entrepreneurs? You know, people who may be in the same boat, starting a new life in America, creating a new business. Sure. Aniba, you want to go first? Or? Sure. Uh, I mean, one thing I would recommend, again, you know, I've worked for large companies before I ventured out and did a startup. Learn the th way things should be done before you can't just, I mean, like, I didn't do a startup as soon as I moved here. I think that would have been very, very difficult. Um, so basically, you have to go, you have to see how the market works. Uh, I mean, okay, George was, was 75 miles away from the US border. I was not. I was, you know, many times I was away. And the way business is done in India versus how business is done in, in the US is extremely different. So I think first learn what you're dealing with. So I work for large companies, large software and enterprise software companies to know exactly, you know, how I started my life as a coder. So, you know, how, how is software developed? How is software tested? And then of course I've got my MBA and, you know, from Berkeley and I ventured off and started doing the other, not the business oriented stuff. Uh, but again, I learned what life is like to be in the trenches. I also learned what it is, what does it take to market and find customers in the US and how to sell to them, how to message to them. So I think that experience really helped because you know the thing is when you're doing a startup, there are so many things that are thrown at you and there are so many things that can go wrong and any one of them can take you down basically. It will just bring you down. So again, to mitigate, the point is, again, at least in my, for me, it's calculated risk. So at least understand what it is that it would take for it to succeed. And still you will come up with a whole bunch of, uh, you know, roadblocks, but at least minimize it. So learn how to, you know, how the whole thing works, learn how the market works, learn how the technology works. Um, so that's my only advice. That's what, personally, that's what I would do. Yeah, I would, I would second that. And also um, I, I would add a couple of other elements uh, that, um, we, we really didn't talk about. Entrepreneurs are successful in two bubbles um, from about age 20 to about age 30, 35. And then that bubble disappears and pops uh, and, and it reappears at about age 50 through uh, 65. This is from my uh, business uh, MBA education. The reason for that is the challenge that immigrants face. If you're coming to the country and you're a young, and you're a young person, uh, you really need to do what Neba said. You really need to dive into the culture, dive into the business world. And, and if you have a passion for one element, focus on, on learning all about that element through uh, participation in other companies or whatever, until you feel comfortable that you can chase your passion. What happens when you're older, and then you go through life's, you know, you get, you get married, you have kids, and, and, and being an entrepreneur in that environment is terribly challenging because you're constantly required time to take away from your family. And, 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 and that's a huge challenge. So you have to figure that in. And then when you're an older person and you've gotten that experience and you've moved along in your life cycle, you have another benefit uh, of being an immigrant in that you have cross culture uh, and, and you, you're able to assimilate some ideas that might or might not be in the culture that you're in currently. And that's to your advantage. So I, I think you really have to decide as an immigrant where you fit in that time continuum, as well as make sure you get the tools that you need to pursue your passion when you come into a new culture. And, and then you can leverage them when you're older if, if you miss the bubble then. That's great advice. And I think you know a lot of uh, uh, foreign founders, they, they struggle sometimes because they either start too early and they get frustrated and they blame the country, the new country they move in, or if they, um, you know, they start later on and then they see that a lot of the things that they learned over time helps them to be able to be more successful mm -hmm. because 
you have to adapt to the country you come to. Really good point, Jacob. You really need to, in order to assimilate in, in both cultures or in both environments, you want to cherry pick the advantages of each and you want to leverage those advantages. And when you're young, it's difficult because you haven't learned or experienced some of the other side of the new culture. And once you get that under your belt, wow, you're, you're really empowered. So I think immigrants have an advantage in the later years to do some really, really good uh, work and, and, and uh, have, have the potential for great success. Absolutely. I'm sure we can talk forever about entrepreneurship, being a foreign founder and uh, the future. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. Now I'm thinking about uh -huh. when you get the actual founder of WhatsApp, tackle him with George's patent. I don't think well, he would agree to it somehow. <laughs> probably doesn't care, you know. One billion dollars uh, buys a lot of indifference. That is yeah. true. Hey guys, it was a pleasure, both of you, and I, I will definitely continue to uh, keep following you and much success to you both. Thank okay, you take care, much. guys. So thank you everyone to all of you listeners, and we will see you in the next episode.